Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Brian Lehrer on WNYC, now a Black History Month segment for this presidential election year, remembering Shirley Chisholm's groundbreaking run for the Democratic nomination in 1972. Chisholm had a motto, not just for historic, her historic campaign, but throughout her entire political life and career, many of you know it, unbought and unbossed. In 1968, Shirley Chisholm became the first black woman elected to Congress. She was a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus, as well as the National Women's Political Caucus. And when she tossed her hat in the ring for the Democratic Party nomination in the 1972 presidential race, she had little support from the political establishment. Here was a candidate outspoken on behalf of civil rights, the Equal Rights Amendment, and the dignity of the poor during a period marked by economic recession. Perhaps ahead of her time, she supported a minimum family income. And in an era of the FBI's so-called COINTELPRO investigations of civil rights leaders, she publicly opposed wiretapping and domestic spying. Here is Shirley Chisholm announcing her candidacy for the nomination in 1972. I am not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman, and I'm equally proud of that. I am not the candidate of any political bosses or fat cats or special interests. I stand here now without endorsements from many big name politicians or celebrities or any other kind of prop. I do not intend to offer to you the tired and glib cliches which for too long have been accepted part of our political life. I am the candidate of the people of America. Shirley Chisholm declaring her candidacy on January 25th, 1972 in Brooklyn. Let's talk about this important and inspiring piece of history with Zinga Frazier, Assistant Professor of Africana Studies and Women's and Gender Studies and Director of the Shirley Chisholm Project at Brooklyn College. She's also co-curating a forthcoming exhibit, exhibit at the Museum of the City of New York, marking the 100th anniversary of Shirley Chisholm's birth. She would turn 100 this November. Professor Frazier, thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me. By way of introduction, do you want to say a little bit about what the mission of the Shirley Chisholm Project at Brooklyn College is? Of course. Um, The Shirley Chisholm Project on Brooklyn Women's Activism for over 12 years has served as a research and archival entity that preserves the history of Chisholm's political life um, and the activism of women in Brooklyn. We also are the repository of um, Chisholm's uh, archive, where we also facilitate free and public 
um, educational programming. So in the tradition of Chisholm, the project also examined social and political issues that grounded Chisholm's political life, like issues around women in politics, equity in education, racial and economic um, disparities, as well as criminal justice and immigration. And listeners, we invite your phone calls on the 1972 Shirley Chisholm presidential campaign, taking oral history calls, as we like to do in our history segments. So is anybody listening right now who happened to vote for Shirley Chisholm in 1972? Is anybody listening right now who just remembers Shirley Chisholm on the campaign trail for president in 1972? Or anybody else with a personal story that relates to that presidential campaign, the Shirley Chisholm candidacy in particular, 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692, call or text for our guest, Inga Frazier from Brooklyn College. Uh, So Shirley Chisholm grew up on Prospect Avenue in Crown Heights and would go on to Teachers College at Columbia for her master's. What else would you like to add about her early life and how it set her up for politics? Well, she's also an alum of Brooklyn College as well. Um, And, you know, Chisholm, as an early, she, you know, she grows, grows up in Brooklyn. She comes out of a rich Caribbean um, Barbados, uh, where her parents are both from. Um, And she's part of that uh, quilting or trajectory of emerging Black political Caribbean immigrants who emerge um, in the 1930s. Um, and so a lot of her life revolved around Brooklyn, but also earlier before she, you know, um, gets into politics, she also lives in Barbados for a number of years and has her primary education um, in Barbados. So she's also a very kind of diasporic figure and subject. And In 1972, the context of that campaign for the Democratic nomination, the field included South Dakota Senator George McGovern, who, of course, got the nomination that year. He ran very much as an anti-Vietnam War candidate, but Chisholm was also anti-war. So how did she distinguish herself from McGovern? In many ways, she distinguished herself from McGovern in that she had a particular Um, belief that she wanted to create a coalition that really crossed age, race, gender, class. And she found a way to collectively um, bargain or try to collectively bargain um, the platform for the Democratic campaign. And she was against abortion. McGovern um, does go against... she was against, uh, she was pro-choice, right? Um, and so she's really trying to push the McGovern campaign and the Democratic Party to really come out um, in support of abortion um, and a woman's right to choose. And at that time, McGovern was very um, leery about taking that stance. If we assume that Chisholm knew she wasn't going to win the nomination, What was she trying to achieve by running? She's really trying to change the platform. She's trying to not only uh, bring in new and vibrant people into the Democratic Party, and she's really trying to say, we want a true Democratic 
a party that represents all people, specifically marginalized people. So Chisholm doesn't necessarily think that she's going to win, but she believes that she has a position to really change the platform and the policies of the Dem Democratic Party. Let's take a phone call with a memory. Teresa in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Teresa. Hi, how are you? Uh, thanks for putting me on. Second time caller, devout listener. Um, Shirley Chisholm used to live in my building. My mother was friendly with her, but she was, Shirley Chisholm was friendly with all of the neighbors. And she was just very a kind-hearted person, a loving person. She was the type of person, she'd say, how are you doing? Uh, how are the kids? And things like that. And that's just on Livingston Street in Brooklyn, between Borum and Court. Wow. Remembering Shirley Chisholm the person, not just Shirley Chisholm the politician. Beautiful. Maria in Newton, New Jersey, around WNYC. Hi, Maria. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, so thank you for taking my call. It's my first time calling. Um, I'm a retired journalist, and I had the opportunity of meeting some quite lovely people, and uh, Shirley Chisholm was one of them. Um, one of the things I did want to say is that Shirley said that it was harder for her, it was very difficult to run a, as a black person for Congress, but it was harder to, to run as a, as a woman to Congress. And I, I, it just amazed me, you know, that here we are now, and I was discussing this with your uh, screener, that, you know, the Vice President of the United States is, is a, a very beautiful, intelligent black woman, and, you know, they give her such a difficult time. But it, it's not for Shirley Chisholm, and, you know, she stands on the shoulders of many, many people, but Shirley Chisholm was a dynamo. She was energetic. She was smart. She was pushing for the ERA, which I've written about the ERA many, many times. And she, you know, she, she, she had a vision, just like Martin Luther King did. She had a vision, and she was pushing for it. And, uh, it's, it's a great memory. Maria, thank you for that memory. Yeah, you know, Professor Frazier, we, we're doing this in the context of Black History Month. We could just as easily be doing this in the context of Women's History Month, right? Yes, definitely, definitely. She trans, you know, transforms and, you know, we could do it any other month either because <laughs> um, sure. she's so relevant. Right. She's so relevant to a discussion. You know, Chisholm is talking about police brutality during her time when, you know, there isn't even a term around, you know, around the prison industrial complex. She's, you know, engaging in a discourse that is talking about intersectionality. So the ways in which your, your caller discussed, you know, Chisholm and even the opening um, of the segment really tells, really talks to the ways in which Chisholm saw herself as an intersectional figure, right? And what the toll of being Black and being a woman, but also being someone who's unbought and unbought. She was disliked more because of her radicalism around policies and her inability to cow down to, you know, machine politics and, and a large, you know, strong and powerful um, Democratic Party. And that's what, you know, gets, you know, even though we love Chisholm in this present moment, we all have to remember that Chisholm was not beloved in many ways. And because of the politics that she um, embodied. 
And it's so interesting to listen back to her speeches from the campaign trail in 1972. One thing that's striking is her approach to power. Here's just a 10-second clip uh, from the speech we heard a bit of earlier introducing her campaign, 10 Seconds of Shirley Chisholm. Leadership does not mean putting the air to the ground to follow public opinion, but to have the vision of what is necessary and the courage to make it possible. And more oral history. Lucy in Westchester, you're on WNYC. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for this, and thank you for all your shows. Um, I just was a 10-year-old white girl in a tiny town in Minnesota in 1972, and Shirley Chisholm was just my hero, absolutely. And maybe my mom introduced her to me. I don't know, but I just was fascinated by her, and I mean... Her, her, you know, views on women probably what is what drew me to her. But I'm going to be honest; it was also her clothes. Huh. <laughs> I grew up to be a costume designer, and she was so well dressed, and just the way she could speak, and how forceful and articulate. And then she just looked so fantastic. I just, I was mesmerized by her. I had Shirley Chisholm for president signs and pins that I made. I just, I just thought she in was a amazing. small town in Minnesota. Lucy, th- <laughs> yeah. thank you very much. So at the uh, Museum of the City of New York, Shirley Chisholm Centennial exhibit that you're co-curating, Dr. Fraser, there going to be anything about her clothes? Yes, we actually have a number of, of items <laughs> um, from the film because I was a historical consultant for the new film that's coming out on at Netflix on the 22nd of March um, with Regina King and John Ridley as the writer and producer. Um, And we'll have uh, some, some great pieces of, of, of Chisholm's um, clothing and talking about Chisholm as, you know, her clothing and her style uh, also is replicative of her being bold and unbought and unbossed and, you know, going outside of the norm of what we consider to be the the dress of politicians. Dawn in Manhattan worked on her campaign in 1966 when she ran for Congress. He says, hi, Don, you're on WNYC, and I apologize, we have just 30 seconds for you. Hi, Brian. Yes, uh, Edna Kelly was a Democratic machine uh, congresswoman for uh, Bethesda Stuyvesant, and she uh, very famously said that she's not worried about the civil rights uh, people uh, in Bethesda Stuyvesant because you know she knows she knows how to deal with her monkeys, and Shirley Chisholm yeah. grabbed a hold of that and ran with that, you know, yeah. and that was one of the things that got her going uh, in '66. Don, thank you so much. So last question, Professor Frazier. Um, how did Chisholm's campaign in 72 set the stage for Jesse Jackson's presidential campaigns the following decade? And if you think in any way, even for Barack Obama? I think in many ways it tested the possibilities of what forming a coalition that really crossed age and race and gender and class. Uh, it's something that uh, Jesse Jackson, you know, connects to when he uh, envisions a rainbow coalition. And when we think about the Obama 
uh, election, the importance of young people um, at the center of Chisholm's 72 campaign were young people and, and also them getting the right to vote um, at the age of 18. And so all of those things, I think, were really a way in which was a litmus test that allowed upcoming people who were not necessarily involved in politics, but got involved in politics because Chisholm redefined um, what presidential elections should look like and who had the capability and should be able to run. And so she's saying, you know, this is not the domain of just white men. Uh, we need to create a way in which we see ourselves um, at the highest levels in this country. Yeah. And so for those of you who are also interested in oral histories, we do a number of oral histories at the Chisholm Project. And those of you who have any kind of engagement with, the Ch with Chisholm, we would love to interview you for our, our histories as well. Singer Frazier is Assistant Professor of Africana Studies and Women's and Gender Studies and Director of the Shirley Chisholm Project at Brooklyn College. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. And we're going to pick it up with part two of our Black History Month presidential election year uh, looks next week when we talk about the Jesse Jackson campaign.